Hi and welcome to this podcast with me, Geeta Joshi. I'm here today with Sam Peacock. Welcome, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for coming in and um, I'm really pleased we're going to be talking about your career as an artist and also, yeah, particularly around um, commissioning work, right, because you've delivered quite a lot of commissioned um, pieces for clients and things. Yep. So, yeah, why don't you just sort of talk about your art style first? It's evolved over the years, very much so. I mean, I, I predominantly work with steel. I think I've always worked with steel in, in some format. When I first started off, I used to set fire to cars. I used to take cars apart. Um, I've let my experiences over the years influence very much what I do as far as materials go. I use coffee in my work as well. I, I started using coffee when I got a commission in Florence, and that was eight or nine years ago. So I started using coffee then and I've retained the use of coffee in the work. I use a lot of household paints. I think I consider myself more kind of landscape than abstract. I think I've answered that a few times in interviews where people have said, you know, what, where do you see yourself style-wise? And I think abstract work's always kind of influenced me. I think when I was at university, abstract was, that was the key. But a lot of the artists that I used to look at as well were more kind of traditional. I think, I mean, Turner's an obvious one. So it's a, maybe an amalgamation of influences and materials that bring together these pieces yeah so you work from a studio where are you at the moment you're down I, in i live in battle right, which is nice. which is near hastings battle of hastings and all that and but you've worked with how many galleries are you working with now i don't know six or seven okay i think i work with one in germany two in australia two or three in england um, the main one's the curious duke and they're based on Whitecross street in london near Old Street Station. I've worked with them seven or eight years. Eleni's my main kind of dealer, really. Yeah. So that's a relationship that I've built up with Eleni and vice versa that we've built up together. And I take a lot of influence from conversations and meetings with Eleni. And I, th- I think vice versa. I mean, I, I, I don't have that much influence over her and her gallery business, but I think we all work together to make the business quite successful. Yeah. And she's taken your work to affordable art fair and places as well. Yeah, I do all the affordables with the Curious Duke. I've done them for the past six, six, yeah, six, seven years. It's probably even longer than that. I've been working with Lenny then. Well, it's been a while. She must have been open seven years. So, and I've always done the, um, the Battersea show, the Hampstead show. And we used to do Bristol together. So they're the three main yeah. affordable art fairs that we do. And then, so let's talk about commissions. Okay. Um, so do you get most of your commissions through galleries or how does that work for you? Well, being represented by galleries, I, a lot of commissions come to me directly through the gallery and I let the galleries take care of the majority of pricing I think that's one of the big things so I don't actively get involved in Mm -hmm. pricing I think what we do is we look at the work that I've got on the wall as you like already is and what that goes for yeah and then we I think I believe the galleries roughly go to that I know just from speaking to Eleni with especially the larger commissions I know we kind of roughly go from work on the wall and just if it's if it's double that size it's Scaling up the price yeah. accordingly, right? Yeah, because when I've yeah. managed um, commissions, like when you know buyers have come to me and they wanted to commission one of my artists, mm-hmm. then it's essentially the, the same price as it would be on the wall had it not been a commissioned piece. Yeah. But then, in the case of them wanting something larger, yeah, then the price is sort of scaled up again. As but at the same time, it's as if if I were ever to have shown a piece like that, yeah. it would have been the same yeah. price. So I, I think the idea of um, commissioning artwork often puts people off because they think it's going to be 
you know, significantly more expensive. I just think it all sounds very um, glamorous and dramatic, but it's, it's actually not. in terms of pricing, it's actually the same as, like we say, that you would see. I think the price is the last real, real aspect of it. I mean, the main thing is to get is to get the piece as the client wants it. Yeah. That's the really important bit, and that comes from a series of conversations about what the client wants, especially if the client wants something specific to maybe where they live or maybe if they've just moved to a new house and they've just got new carpets or whatever and they want yeah. a piece of work. And a lot of people do want a piece of work that goes with the interiors of the house. Right. It's knowing what the client's got and what size they want. And a lot of that comes from just speaking to the clients. And a lot of that goes through Eleni and she'll pass on yeah. things to me. Yeah, I think they're quite interesting conversations when they want them for um, you know specific um, interiors because I've had that as well where people have actually chosen the colours yeah. of what they want in it. So the way I've done it is actually certain because the particular piece I'm thinking of that I um, one of the commissions that I had somebody come to me for was they wanted a particular colour palette so we sent them samples of um, the papers and things that would be used in that commission. How do you do that? Do you send them studies or maquettes? So or? I do a few test pieces of the colours. I generally mix all my own colours. I've got a really good paint dealer. I, I, I use, like I said, I use exterior paint. I use exterior gloss. Um, I generally stick with the primaries unless somebody really wants something specific. But I think over the years, I can generally get the colours that people want. Yeah. And a lot of my processes, well, like I said at the start, I use a lot of fire. So I've got a fire pit at home and I set fire to it. Everything I do, I set fire to it. It's, it's part of the process. It's very much process driven. Um, it gets set fire to a few times and it takes the edge off the colours dulls it down a touch i think a lot of my clients know that and i do try and explain my process so sometimes you meet clients at kind of gallery shows openings various things that we do and that's kind of how the business almost starts really yeah they'd meet you they'd you know refer them to eleni and they'll and they'll talk to eleni about what they want because they've spoke to me maybe previously or they've seen something or read something you know about me and they, and they quite like what i'm what i'm doing yeah nice i think that is yeah, one of those things, actually. People don't normally come in and go, you know, just see it online and think, oh, well, I'll commission them, right? I think there's a, you know, it's sort of nurtured through conversations and all of that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I mean, the important thing is that the client can always see what's going on with the work. Yeah. So I'd always send just simple photos. And I'd sit, you know, in the studio, a lot of the time it's just take a photo on your phone, ping it off, and it goes off to the client. And then they'll give feedback to Eleni and she'll reverse the feedback to me and then the dialogue continues through there i mean i've always said for like the kind of the mid-range kind of commissions give me like six weeks and yeah. that's just the drying time of the paint a lot of that is drying time oh, okay. and just finishing things off because the paint sometimes yeah, it just takes an age to dry <laughs> i think after you've set fire to everything it's so tacky and sticky afterwards so it's just getting the conditions right in the studio so yeah I mean, my studio is just built at the bottom of, of the garden you know, so it's traditional. I mean, my wife calls it the shed, and I say it's not a shed. Don't don't degrade it. It's not a shed. <laughs> it's a studio, and you've got to be in the mindset where it's a studio, <laughs> and it just turns into a shed. And my daughter will dump a bike in there, and said, "You're not putting your bike in the studio," and that's it. <laughs> so, how um, tight a brief do most of your clients? I appreciate they come through the gallery, but sort of how. Tight a brief do you do you usually receive? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think brief wise, because people would already know your visual language, right? They know an approximation of like, you know, this is what Sam's work looks like. Yeah. So they've already got a gist of. You that, might just right? get. I'd like that in a blue and a toffee colour on top. Okay. And I remember one commission, 
and the client wanted caramel. For ages, it for some reason, I just got that chocolate bar that we had when we were kids. The Caramac, was it the Caramac bar? Oh, yes. Do you remember yeah, yeah. Caramac? Yes, I do. And, and that's what, I just got it stuck in my head that it should look like a Caramac. And I went out and bought loads of toffee and, and, and caramel colours. And I just thought, it's going to have to look a little bit like that. So I sent some photos off to Eleni of, of these colours. She goes, yeah, I think that, I think that's where they're at with it, <laughs> and it, it was as simple as that. And and sometimes the research could be, it's a lot of it's just me getting my head straight mm. on it. So, and what about um, something you mentioned when we were talking before about people wanting because you know your work actually references landscape, right, and the history of those landscapes or that environment as well. Um, do you get quite a lot of commissions, or is that kind of rarer where they want you to reference? something that's important to them in terms of yeah, yeah sort of so, uh, environmental context. I did commission for someone in Wiltshire and they wanted me to reference parts of Wiltshire. So I spent some time, I went down to Wiltshire, had a wander around, took some photos, yeah. made some initial sketches. Uh, I think being a landscape painter, you'd look at kind of important landscape. I mean, Wiltshire is full of important landscape stuff, you know, especially around Salisbury Plains. And so, uh, um, then you've got all kind of Stonehenge, that's all Wiltshire as well. Yeah. So... And the history surrounding that. So you can talk about that, you know, while you're making the work. And I think the clients quite enjoy an artist who, in theory, should know his stuff or should know his history and geography. Nice. I spent yeah. a lot, you know, I'm into camping. I like camping. I like walking. You know, I go metal detecting. It's all part It's all part of the, the wider story, isn't it, really? Yeah, interesting. I'm more a hands-on kind of artist. than. So on a piece like that, how long would you have spent researching and... Camping and um, I don't, <laughs> walking. And I don't. Traffic. I don't really put a time period on it. No. I think. I think to be a landscape painter, you've just got to know the landscape because the landscape's yeah. always changing. I think I did a show about fracking in, in with, with the Duke and that was in 2015. And I spent so much time researching fracking and researching how the landscape changes. And part of that is when you meet the client and uh, and they're interested in something, you say, "Well, look, I did this, I did that," and that's all part of the research that goes with it. So it's not a kind of. I don't say. I'll spend a week researching it. It might be, it's research that you've done previously in notes. Yeah, I see I, what you mean, I yeah. I keep kind of extensive notes of things as visual records to places and memories of places. You know, I think I, sp- I fill my time up with reading. Mm-hmm. Reading and sketching and drawing and thinking. And, and that's, I think that's part of just being the artist, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's actually, yeah, when you're really serving that client as well, right? Because that research is always... Yeah. going to inform future work that you do anyway yeah. right so like you say if memories it's actually because it's something you read or a place you visited 10 years ago or yeah exactly right? it's not yeah not a fresh thing uh let's talk about you've done some really large commissions right oh. and some of the considerations around that i think novatel was the largest commission that was over two floors and that was if, you, if you've been to novatel when you go into the lobby my work and this one is the one in canary wharf yeah, right that's the flagship novatel hotel in canary wharf and they use it for business meetings and all that sort of stuff so as soon as you go in the lobby my work occupies nine meters of wall which is about four meters tall just under four meters tall the, the wall is so it's a tall old wall yeah and then as you go up the foot up the stairs to the right to the main coffee bar my work occupies the coffee bar wall so it's just literally floor to ceiling yeah and there's doors in it and there's curves there's various angles there's staircases in it that's the lot. It's like eighteen meters of art, and very site specific as well, right? If you've had to it has sort of to be research. Yeah. I mean, what the, what the client wanted, what what they give you is they give you a bit of carpet and they give you a few mock-ups of what they want. 
mm-hmm. but then they say go and research Canary Wharf and I think when I first started out as a painter I used to walk around Canary Wharf anyhow um, just because of the coffee trade and I was using coffee in the work anyway so it's important to understand it and I said well look I, I know this about Canary Wharf I know about the spice trade the coffee trade you know all these various docks that are not there anymore where there's kind of when they built the land here or they haven't built the land there then there's kind of old sailors missions around Canary Wharf and the uh, the stuff with the East India Company, you know. So yeah. I think a lot of that, I, I, I went and bought old in East India Company rifles because they were just so physical and hands-on. And that's all part of the research. And, you know, you, you kind of yeah, you want to, And it. then you read about, you know, the horrors of the slave trade and all that sort of stuff. Then you know, I kind of read, it, read about the Indian mutiny. There's, and there's so much you kind of research that goes into it. So when you go and meet the client mm. and then... I did an interview with Novotel, and it was on French TV. And I don't speak. I do speak French, but not, not enough. TV interview standard. Not no, geez, no. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that. And uh, but thankfully, they spoke very good English. As a lot of Europeans do, you'll find a lot of yes. a lot of Europeans do speak very good English. It's just that I don't speak any, I don't speak French that well at all. And I, I spoke quite fluently about my research over the years, and they were quite impressed with that, you know. And at least they they mooted they were quite impressed with it and I'm sure they were I think a lot of that it helps you kind of put the client at ease that you you know you generally yes. know what you're doing yeah what what stage was um, the building actually was it complete oh, was, because I'm no. guessing that your work had to go in before they actually opened right? yeah yeah that was when we installed in Canary Wharf the installation took an age and there were so many problems with the hotel itself there were so many issues with the hotel it just it was falling, not, not falling apart, but there, were, there was walls that are plastering because they had a water leak. Oh, right. And, and there was just so many issues with it. It just got to the point. Um, so with that project at the Novotel, what stage were they commissioning the work? Because I'm guessing the hotel wasn't actually open and running because and that's a new build, right? So when they, Yeah, when yeah. they started, when we started the project, the hotel was just concrete and steel. It was just concrete and steel walls. There was no interiors, no floors. So we went to measure up. That was the first thing we did. We went to kind of, I've got a fabricator who works for me, mm-hmm. a, a bloke called Jude. Very good friend of mine. Worked with Jude for years. He, um, he's, a, he's a welder and a knife maker by trade. Very good friend. I said, look, I've got this project. I'm going to need you on the project. So we employed Jude and Jude measured everything accurately for me. Made some calculations on the amount of steel that we need. And we needed about half a ton of sheet steel. Oh my God. So that's only 0.9 mil steel. So the boring basics of this is that the steel is kind of like, if I get your bit of paper there, that's about that thick. That's 0.9 mil. Right. So that's nothing. That's what the majority of the steel is. So it's half a ton of that. And so I thought, okay, so schematics of that means 19 meters by four meters, half a ton. So I'm, my studio then encompassed my garden. And my driveway. <laughs> so I've got a nice driveway. Yeah. Thankfully, all, all in stone shale, so you can walk on it. And my garden's on a, it's on a hill. So I laid everything, all the steel out when we bought it, when we got the, when the money came through. Mm-hmm. You don't do anything to the money's in the bank. So all the steel come through and we laid it all out. And Jude had got it all cut to the millimeter for me. And a lot of the pieces were angulated. So you'd kind of have an 83 degree turn. Right. To, so what, to fit the walls weird, where it was going to go? A or? weird turn, yeah. So, ah, okay. And then there's a door in it, and that was a strange, uh, a funny little angle. That caused the most problems out of all of it, because the door would then, I think it was a 133-degree turn into a door. So you're not talking about a painting you hang on the wall, you're talking about an entire fabricated section of wall. Right, yeah. So... So were you working with like the um, the architects, or I mean, was was there anybody else involved in? They were sort of based you that in France. So I would send my photos, initial photos, to the gallery who were 
who were doing the project at the time, they would then send that off to France. Yeah. It would then go through various bodies of people who would yay or nay it. And before I did any of this, I sent colour samples off. So I'd done some eight or nine uh, colour sampled pieces of the blues that I could see in mm-hmm. the pieces that they'd sent me. And I stuck with um, a blue called Javan Dawn. Javan Dawn is on the Dulux colour chart, if you're that. All right. <laughs> they wanted something along that sort of line. That was what I'd got. And I thought, this is quite specific. I might not mess around as much as I'd usually mess around with this. And we stuck to a kind of a turquoise that was Javan Dawn. And I made lots of samples with Javan, the various Javan Dawn sphere that you could have, as well as some traditional Oxford blues, which we'd sent off as well. And they just chose two or three colours. And then there was a, a red that I'd mix up that I'd put into a lot of my work anyway. And they were quite interested yeah. in the reds. I sent a lot of kind of like gingers as well, like ginger colours. I think that kind of links with kind of turmeric, because I've got oh, the spice yes. trade. Yeah. Turmeric's got a very kind of yellow colour and... I spent time messing around with turmeric and rice making um, like a nice yellow, like a buzz malty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's quite a nice, that's quite enough, but it needs to be darker and deeper than that. So you kind of think, well, there's a start. And then you don't want it too gingy. You want to kind of meet in the middle. So it's a case of just mixing up lots of paint, mm-hmm. finding the one that I was happy with yeah. and I thought they'd be happy with, making some steel sheets up and sending them off in the post and then getting them approved really and then laying all the steel out and then they wanted rust as well. They wanted this kind of ginger rust. So I thought, okay, how are we going to make rust? Now, I've got rust down now. I can make a rusted surface on steel in about two hours. Mm-hmm. Actually, I can, I can do it in half an hour. If, if you want rust, I can make you rust in half an hour. It's like a claim to fame. <laughs> so it's a mix of um, ferric, with it, which is iron, and chloride. So mix ferric and chloride together, and it will give you a nice formula with water that when you spray it onto a sanded sheet steel surface, put... A blowtorch on it so if you use like a butane propane mix which burns at about 1330 something degrees if you put all that together you can confidently create rust perfect thanks for that recipe <laughs> <laughs> like, uh... so, so a lot of it is chemical research yeah and speaking to people who know better than you about chemicals mm. and saying where to buy the chemicals from it's a case of knowledge understanding and listening to people as much as artists think they know it all, I, I didn't know it all at all. So then when you sent off those samples, did they, what, how was that feedback? Was there a lot back and forth or yeah, were I they mean, sort of happy to let you really drive? No, no. They, I went to give a presentation to one of the main architects mm-hmm. at Novotel when it was still a building site. And that was just a simple half hour presentation of, of where I was at and my, yeah. and my studies. And they, and they seemed quite happy with that. I think a lot of the time people just nod and agree, don't they? And they're quite... Yeah, I mean, that's, I think particularly when they're sort of looking at those projects, it, there's like so many different aspects, right, that that sort of lead architect has got yeah. to sign off on. Yeah. They just want to know that actually you're going to deliver on time and, yeah. you know, it, it's all... And it's a quick turnover. Good. That yeah. was a quick turnover. I created everything in three weeks. And I was told it was a quick turnover. I was like, okay, I can do all that in three weeks. That's not a problem at all. So from originally what I said in before the interview, when I said I'll always give you six weeks, mm. let the paint dry. This time I've got a lot less time. But then it's a bit, being quite naive at the time to building projects. Like I said, it's my first building project. So being quite naive to it, I assume buildings go up quite quick. Buildings don't go up quite quick. They seem to go up quite quick, but they don't. It's, right. They go up, but it's not done, is it? No. And we were installing it when it was still a building site, which we shouldn't have done. But I think the people in the gallery that were looking after me at the time, they were under pressure. So it's very understandable to get it on the wall. You know, and you have to, work, like I said, you have to work with everybody and you have to work the best you can. Yeah. It doesn't always go as you want. And there were so many ups and downs with that project. 
But I think you learn from it. You have to learn from the experience of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. As much as you go and turn them and say, yeah, I can do that. I don't think, I, well, for me, I couldn't. Although I said, yeah, I could do all that. I thought, actually, it's, it's going to be quite hard. But I think for, in your case as well, you obviously had resources available to draw on. Obviously, you had the gallery to yeah. sort of back you, but... Then you had your um, fabricator and, you know, Jude you've got all my of biggest, that in place, right? Whereas... Jude was my biggest kind of go-to man. Yeah. No matter, you know, he was my go-to man for every, and he still is. And he still is. He's an absolute, if I could employ, if I had the resources to employ Jude full-time and the money that he wants, and if I had the amount of work on, which confidently one day I will, I'd employ Jude like that, like amazing. a shot. Because he is an amazing, he's just an amazing fellow. He's just so knowledgeable. He's got a, a very high kind of IQ set on everything involving metal and chemicals. And it's just, there we go, that's, oh, what, that's I want. what you want, right? Somebody that can do that, yeah. cover that part of it for yeah. you, right? Um, so, how much time do you spend um, like researching and looking for projects? You know, I've just took on, it's in a, not the liberty to tell you where it is yet or who it's with. I've just took on a very large project in East London with the Curious Duke Gallery. And it's going to be an exterior project for a large company owned by Sovereign Wealth Fund from another country. Nice. So for that, I um, put together, similar to this, a sample of work of what I'd suggest. We needed to make um, CAD drawings mm-hmm. and then mock-ups of how it would look, put all that together on a PowerPoint presentation, and then cost it. So for the costings for this, I did it myself. It was the first time I've ever sat and costed up an entire, because this is a bit larger than Novotel, this one. So it's a complete, it's a, Cost up from start, but you, like I said, you learn as you go. Yes. So you know what you are costings with steel, with time, with fabrication, and then the materials you need to lumber bits of steel around. So we, for this, we'll need winches, and we'll make the winches ourselves. So all that needs to be factored in. So there's a lot in it. So you have to sit down, and like I said, you know, art, you know, you talk about artist life, but I paint quite quick. I get the paintings done. And the majority of the time, I spend in dialogue and discussion right. and planning with people. And on the phone most of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I run an art fair as well, but I spend a lot... Of, I think <laughs> <laughs> it's all a bit like that. I think I spend a lot of my time with Roy on the phone. Me and Roy talk every day for a good hour every day at least. <laughs> and then I talk to Jude every other day for about an hour on and off. You know, And a lot of the time, it is just planning. And when I'm not planning, when the, I'm in the mm. studio planning or... So do you normally just have like, I mean, obviously you've got, you know, the art fair sort of as a sort of separate project, but in terms of your own artwork, are you really just doing one commission at a time? You know, particularly, I'm guessing, when you've got a large thing like that. Yeah, a lot of the light. time. I'm, I'm planning for busy times of the year. So for busy for us is March, April, May, and then September, October, November. Oh, uh, yeah. So at the moment, what am I doing art fairs? I'm doing Brussels at the moment. So mm-hmm. right now, the art's in Brussels, and that's with a gallery in Germany. Yeah. Um, called Folly and Muse so I, I let them take my work to the art fairs that they do and then I've got a solo show in May so since January I've been making work for the solo show I've also got a gallery in Australia who are showing work for me so that went off to Australia in January so that started in November so you kind of just backtrack the projects right yeah and put lots of time scales on projects and think I need to this works for that gallery that works for that gallery that's going to take three months five months I see yeah that's next that's next so the calendar's drawn and as projects come in, you kind of just try and fit them in. Yeah. So I can do that that month and you can have it that month. Or if somebody rings up and says, can you do something next week? And if I can push a calendar project back a bit or, you know, work double shifts on something, I'll quite happily do that. Or make, just make the work at the same time. Yeah, I see. Wow. So, it, yeah, it's busy. It, it, but it's got progressively busier. Mm-hmm. But 
to do that, you have to have faith and focus. And I think is that also sort of helps, like being with multiple galleries, right? So obviously, you know, they're yeah promoting your work, in, you yeah. know, giving shows and group shows. Galleries work very that. hard. Galleries work very hard, mm. you know, for artists. I think a lot of that can be undersold, and you don't always hear that. But the Curious Duke worked very hard for me, and Following News worked very hard for me. You know, Atty Design in Australia worked very hard for me, and there are galleries out there just work very hard for you. No, I've got, I mean, Highgate Contemporary, um, Hannah's gallery, I've known Hannah years, and she works very hard. She puts little shows on. She works very hard for you. Yeah. So you just have to kind of sing along and do it, really. Yeah. No, it's great. You've actually got some, you know, really great relationships, actually, with your That's the you know, most the dealers as well. Thing. It is, isn't it, I think? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really important part of it, you know. I mean, a lot of artists, I think now, I mean, running an art fair, you get to talk to so many artists and how they work. Mm-hmm. A lot of artists... You can see them kind of thinking, oh, "I'll do it on my own." Oh, yeah, but, and they and they and they're good salesmen as well. You know, you, I think with Roy's people out there, me and Roy get to see how people sell work, and you think, you know, you're an absolute amazing salesperson. But I'm in no way a salesperson, and I would hate to stand with my own stand at Roy's people out there because I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'd just talk about art day. So I mean, that's just about recognizing your own. Well, the things that you enjoy, right? Because I'm sure there are other people that actually really enjoy talking about their work as well. You know, yeah. I really like the selling side because I really like talking to... Well, the work you know, sells itself, but... Them, yeah. You know. If somebody wants it, they'll buy it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But sometimes you do need a good person to front mm. the work. You need mm. a good person to front the work, you know. And as much as I'm confident that my work sells itself... Yeah. And I'm just not that... I, I just can't. But that, that's... I can't do all that. Yeah, but you're not expected to, either. No, that's, that's why that's I work with galleries. Like, yeah. Yeah, but there are some artists out there, very good artists, you know, that will just happily take their work to an art fair and go and sell their sell their work and sell a lot of their work. And, you know, they're very good brands, really. Yeah, no, no I think, I mean, it, it's a good skill set to have, you know. Very much so. Um, very much so. You know, yeah, it just kind of opens different doors, but yeah. Yeah. Sam, thanks so much for coming in and having this chat. Why don't you tell Sorry. people where um, they can follow you online? So... Um, on Instagram, you can find me at Sam Peacock Art. And, uh, you should find me on that. If you want to follow me on that, you can do. Perfect. Uh, and then tell us about your upcoming show in London. So I have a solo show at the Curious Duke, which opens on the 3rd, so Thursday the 3rd of May this year, 6 o'clock onwards. So come along and see that. If and you how want. long's that run for? That's going to run for the month, and it's called Of The Land, and there'll be a whole body of new work, so it won't be the work you've seen previously it's really a it's a new body of work excellent um trying out some new exciting styles and ideas really brilliant so it just shows where i'm at as an artist at yeah present and how that sort of evolved as, as well right because if you yeah before like you know your work from five years ago has sort of evolved while you oh, still massively. have a kind of yeah i think you still have a very strong visual language yeah you know i think yeah it, it's evolved into it has you know, to and it always will brilliant. and on Instagram, you can find me at the Gita Joshi. On Twitter, at Gita Joshi or at Empower underscore Artist. And if you'd like to join our Facebook group for Artists and Makers, where we talk about all sorts of things related to working with galleries and um, the artist's career, then you can find that uh, link in the show notes to this podcast. Or you can find it at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Studio to Retail. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Cheers. Sam.